You're listening to a Roddenberry podcast. Hi, and welcome to Women at Warp, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Join us on our continuing mission to explore intersectional diversity and infinite combinations. My name is Andy, and thanks for tuning in. With me today are Kennedy. Hello. And Grace. Hey, everybody. Woo. Before we can get into our main topic, we do have a little bit of housekeeping to do. Our show is made possible by our patrons on Patreon. If you would like to become a patron, you can do so for as little as a dollar per month and get awesome rewards from thanks on social media up to silly watch-along commentaries. Visit www.patreon.com slash women at work. Our Tee Public store has new designs, and Grace just went buck wild on some new ones, too. So, like, we are always <laughs> updating that. So definitely check it out. Logos, um, non-podcast-specific Trek designs, and then also our banner art. So if you wanted to check that out, that's tpublic.com slash stores slash women at warp. Now, the next convention that when the Women at Warp crew will be attending will be New York City Comic Con, which will be October 7th through the 10th. And Roddenberry Podcast will be hosting a panel with Women at Warp and Priority One on Saturday afternoon. So be sure to keep an eye on our Facebook and Twitter for more details. All right. So our main topic today is kink in the Star Trek universe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're going to be approaching this as academically as possible. As we are, as as academically as we're capable of approaching it, that's a that's a probably a better way to put it. Yeah, there's gonna probably be a lot of giggling, <laughs> so we're do we'll do as best we can. But you know, there's some caveats there. Yeah, and overall, due to the topic, please make sure the young ears are not listening because this episode will be not safe for work. Dun, dun, dun! If they heard that intro and are asking what a kink is, just say it was a band in the 60s. Nice. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> so this one was a patron request from Lara, who sent us her first spontaneous idea is kink in Star Trek, but I can't recall any mention of sex outside the vanilla spectrum. And all I can say to that, Lara, is challenge accepted. Yeah, Andy jumped on this was like, no, we we're going to do a whole episode out of this. <laughs> so just to get started and ease into this topic, let's just talk a little bit about what we mean when we say kink or BDSM. So BDSM is a term to describe bondage and discipline, domination and submission, and sadism and masochism. Sadism is getting pleasure from giving pain, whereas masochism is getting pleasure from receiving pain. Absolutely. So those are that's what BDSM stands for. Kink is defined generally. There are lots of different definitions for kink as sexual activity that falls outside of sex that society traditionally considers, quote unquote, acceptable. And I want to make a caveat there, because even though I literally just use sexual activity in the definition, I do want to make it clear that not all BDSM slash kink is inherently sexual. You can absolutely engage in kink without sex. So a lot of people get that messed up because I, I think that it's most commonly understood to be sexual, which is understandable. But yeah, something that I just wanted to to throw out there because we are going to be talking about some kink in Star Trek that is not sexual. So it's a thing. It's a thing. For those of you who didn't know. <laughs> and overall, BDSM kink has become more popular in mainstream media in the last, I want to say, what would we say, five to ten years? Well, about when did Fifty Shades of Grey come out? Well, there's been elements of kink in, in other forms of popular media for a while there. Oh, absolutely. You know, you can think of imagery like Pinhead from Hellraiser. Yeah. You can think of really leather kinks from any of the matrix movies oh absolutely <laughs> but particularly i want to point out the scene in the third film um that was straight up like a fetish club and everybody there was latex everywhere <laughs> <laughs> latex everywhere for everyone everyone was dipped in latex so again not all of that was overtly sexual but there is something to leather or vinyl or 
uh, latex or, or rivets or, you know, any of that that leans towards the geeky sides of things, even, does, even though it doesn't necessarily always have to involve intercourse. Yeah. Sometimes it's just a style thing, as the 90s proved to us overall. Right. <laughs> I also think that beyond Fifty Shades of Grey, which we should just say right now, please don't model any BDSM exploration you do on Fifty Shades of Grey because it's horrible. It has been widely looked down upon and disavowed by many BDSM like higher organizations and groups due to the fact that it is not safe, sane, or consensual at times. Yes. And honestly, that kind of flows into the next thing that I wanted to bring up was the idea of safe, sane, and consensual. Because BDSM and kink can be very intense, the community that engages in this, they really stress communication and consent. Enthusiastic consent. Yes. Enthusiastic consent. Exactly. Like, there are literally, and I mean, Fifty Shades has this, they just ignore it. There are literally contracts. They, they, you will have people sit down and like literally write out all of the things that are acceptable and all the things that are not acceptable and, and sign contracts with each other. It's super intense. You, you, when you're engaging, I mean, when I would suppose when one was engaging. If one would theoretically be into such a thing. <laughs> I mean, so when one could say that the, the act of engaging in kink play, anything that isn't vanilla, anything that requires one or both parties to surrender control of their body, control of their mental, like, there's anytime there's a relinquish of, of control or you're expected to behave in a way that isn't uh, acceptable, let's say, quote unquote, by by society, it's always best to to have those conversations. Right. Those it's always best to really take a moment and figure out what it is that you as a person, as an individual need from this individual that you're about to engage with. And Really, when you think about it, a lot of quote unquote kinky relationships, a lot of BS, BDSM uh, arrangements tend to be super healthy because everyone's needs are addressed. And if they're not met, there's there's movements to have those needs met in some way, shape or form. So people, if they tend to see folks who are obviously in a kinky relationship out in public and they seem very, very tight. It's because they trust each other more often than not because they've had those difficult discussions. If they engage in play, then something happens that they're not cool with. You know, it's discussed immediately as opposed to swept to the wayside and, and kind of stifled and allowed resentment to build for something that, that can be discussed openly. So it's important to note that I believe anyway that the kinky relationships are more healthy than the uh, status quo has led us to believe. However, there are exceptions in every group. Well, yeah, sure. There's always a, there's always a jerk face. <laughs> you get those in literally every group of people in all of human history, though. So Right. And that's one reason why it's important to be careful, because predators can exist in any space, and you're giving up a lot of your trust, and you, you know, you're putting your safety in someone else's hands sometimes. So just be careful. Just be careful. And unfortunately, like when I was going through, you know, thinking about what we were going to be talking today, I would say that the vast majority of even like kinky subtext in Star Trek is pretty toxic. Yes, it is. And not healthy. Because it is still seen as bad people stuff. Because you can always tell the people who have never properly engaged in kinky behavior or the lifestyle, I guess it's best to say. Yeah. You can always tell when those folks are writing things about the lifestyle, right? You can tell yes. how much research has not been done. You can tell how <laughs> many people have not been consulted. You can tell how much personal experience has not happened. And unfortunately, a lot of cases in track when it comes to kinky lifestyle behavior is, you know, for anyone in the community, like it's it clearly like, oh. Oh, some vanilla dude wrote this. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Yeah, it always makes me think of every crime show you will ever watch will have that one ripped from the headline sex 
clubs episode right. that's always like, oh my god, this is like someone's uncle wrote it after hearing <laughs> a story passed through five different people about what this kind of situation is like. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the very first topic we kind of have to tackle it kind of plays into this really strongly because the mirror universe. Yeah. I feel very strongly that the mirror universe adopted a kinky subtext as an aesthetic. Oh, absolutely. And when you're doing that, when you're just like, let's make it sexy, but a little bit violent, like, <laughs> you're missing a lot of the nuance there. And it, it ties right into my other rant about the mirror universe, which you you all have heard before, and you will hear again, which is... They do the same thing with pan and bisexuality, where it's like, ooh, all the mere universe people are pan and bi because it's sexy and just a little bit taboo. This is an inherently naughty thing. Good people don't do this. High-risk lifestyle. Exactly. And it gives the impression that, like, it's only acceptable when the people who are doing it are, like, quote-unquote, evil. Or that there is an inherent level of sleaziness to it. Yeah, and I have serious problems with this. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, this is something that has been carried through to Discovery. Mm -hmm. um, and is even more, like, I would say, more prominent in Discovery than it even was beforehand. Well, it feels like with Discovery, they're like, oh, we don't have to beat around the bush with this. Let's just straight up be like, yeah, everyone's kinky. PG-13 TV! So as someone who has spent a great deal of time in the mirror universe, <laughs> I will offer the counter argument that mainly for the folks who say we agree with each other too much. Here's a disagreement. <laughs> the Terrans are the antithesis of humanity, yeah. right? Whereas all of the quote unquote society things that makes us who we are in this universe are completely polarized when it comes to Terrans. So if our society is supposed to be quote-unquote decent, quote-unquote wholesome, quote-unquote proper when it comes to expressing yourself sexually, then the Terrans are going to be the exact opposite of that, right? Obviously, they're, they're terrible, right? They're fascists, they're racist, they're violent, they're deceitful people, all things that we have decided as a society are not cool. Well, we once upon a time decided that that stuff wasn't cool, and yet some people are like that. Some people believe Star Trek has just recently gotten political. Yeah, right. So we generally openly have decided that, you know, deplorable behavior like that is unacceptable, and that any type of sexual expression, because of Puritan things or whatever else is, you know, frowned upon at least open, flagrant, unapologetic sexual expression is frowned upon in most societies in, in our universe, at which stands to reason in the, in the prime Trek universe. But when it comes to the Terrans, this is, if this is a society who doesn't give a shit about treating each other like people, right? Then they're, they're not going to give a shit about what is considered quote unquote proper when it comes to sexual expression. So I always read the, the Terran's propensity for violence as something separate than their, than their sexual proclivities. The thing that makes them problematic with exploring, because what is kink, right? Kink is, when you think about it and boil it down, it's all relative. What's kinky to me isn't kinky to you. What's kinky to you isn't kinky to you. So there, there's going to be some, some nuances there. But as far as the Terrans are concerned, the, the problematic element of them is not the fact that they are completely uninhibited sexually. The problem with that is that they're terrible human beings and that you don't know that the person that they're engaging with sexually will survive the encounter. So I feel like that is the, the overhead danger when it comes to sexual displays in Terran culture. It's not so much that they're doing kinky stuff, right? Because that's the fun part. <laughs> I'm concerned. <laughs> the terrible, the terrifying part is whether or not this person that they're engaging in these scenes with will will leave them in safety, will leave them in one piece, will leave them with all of their you know needs being met, right? It's not so much that they're doing the thing, it's the fact that they're they're violating the core principles of, of what 
we've had to agree upon as a society makes that acceptable. Right. But then it's contrasted with we have very few examples of, say, a canon kinky character in our main universe. So it it becomes all a negative exposure to this. And I'd say that this has gotten better. Like before Lower Decks, we didn't have a canon on screen bisexual character except for mirror universe characters. You could make a argument and people have and certainly Terry Farrell has that Dax is canon pansexual. And I, yeah. I think that that's fair. And I also would say that she's one of our very few examples of a kinky character that is portrayed positively. Yeah, mm-hmm. I would agree to that. Yeah, absolutely. She was all about that bat left. She was like, let's go. <laughs> she was all like, let's wrestle in these mud caves. So, I mean, it's not that there are no examples, but it's that it's contrasted. Yeah, that's true. It is difficult because there's there's not there's not enough balance to to illustrate that the act isn't inherently evil. It's the people participating in the act. I can agree to that. I already can hear somebody taking this entire episode of out of context and being like, they won't rest until we see someone get whipped, explode into love seeds on Star Trek. That's exactly what I'm saying. Explode into love seeds, by the way, is my Duran Duran <laughs> cover band. <laughs> nice. I mean, this this idea really comes clear to me when it comes to Giorgio. Yeah. Because we see her be both by her pan and kinky on screen, but only the mirror version. Yes. Now, to be fair, we haven't seen enough of Prime Giorgio to really know. Like, maybe she still is mm-hmm. queer and kinky. We don't know. But the only time we see it is when we, we see Mirror Giorgio. Mm-hmm. And then when she's, like, there's a whole exchange with Colbert and Stamets where it's like, no, we're gay. But their mirror universe counterparts were apparently not homosexual. They were bi and pansexual. So that to me is just weird. So that's what I mean is like, it's interesting to me that they, they did the exact same thing with Culver and Stamets that they did with any other quote unquote straight character, like say Kira. We never see Kira be uh, being an on-screen romance with a woman, but when we go to the mirror universe, she exhibits sexual attraction for women. And then they do the same thing with, like, apparently that is also true for our gay characters. Like, that to me is like, okay, that's really weird. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how to unpack that. I'm not sure how to unpack what this makes the writers seem to think of bi and pan people that's that's ultimately what it boils down to right when when the people in charge of creating the content have no idea about what it is they're trying to write and they just kind of guess like this is what happens this is why you need to make sure that all of the intersections are are involved when it comes to creative making processes because again it's not the the issue is not that these characters are, are kinky in the mirror universe because there there could be one could one could make the argument for societal norms the problem is that as you say andy it's not reflected on both sides but i also know that people in the 60s weren't sitting there and, and really you know going into the psychological appeals when it comes to kink so i don't really expect them to get it right but as far as the disco part that you that you mentioned, like, yeah, there, there should have been, I don't know, some type of notion, some type of, of, of hint that these folks, uh, you know, enjoyed the same things just for completely different reasons. Well, and I mean, going back to like you mentioned the 60s, this is a part of the mirror universe from the very beginning. The the very f- the, the scene that really sticks out to me when it comes to like the kinky undertone is Uhuru and Sulu on the bridge with the knife. Yeah, her turning it into a game and being like, let's, and turning it into a let's play kind of thing. Yeah, and to me that is very clear kink subtext. Yes, absolutely. It's baked (laughs) right into, like, as I said, the aesthetic. Which was around in the 60s, obviously, even if it wasn't always getting addressed on TV. The Comstock Act was working overtime in the 60s, I'm sure. (laughs) 
So I feel like it's it's kind of baked into the aesthetic of the mirror universe, which is why we see it again and again when we go back in DS9. We've got Intendant Kira lounging, public sex happening, you know, like all, all sorts of kinky undertones there. So to me, it makes sense as to why it keeps coming back. I just wish that once we had come back to it, you know, with a more contemporary sensibility, we could have like... Grown up a little. Yeah, fixed some of these issues and been a little bit more nuanced on how we handled them. As much as I enjoyed seeing Burnham put Lorca on his knees while they were both wearing leather. (laughs) Yeah, that was... uh... (laughs) (laughs) Should we just take a minute to all share a pervy cackle? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, everything, everything about, like, when Prime Burnham crossed over and had Volk just kind of like chilling in her bed and she was in lace and I was just like let's go about this what do you mean I get an actual cabana person (laughs) okay yeah I'll take those bars thank you I also think the mirror universe is a good example of just general sadism yeah they enjoy inflicting pain yeah they've got an agonizer booth they use it (laughs) yeah so that's i would say that's a good example of like just a general sadism uh not necessarily sexual they just like hurting people yeah i think that the mirror universe in the 60s was a lot more convinced about the sexual power of a goatee than it actually had (laughs) yeah it was a lot more convinced about the exposure of a midriff yeah as well that being inherently sexual you know but i also love how it was a power play. It's one of those things where, you know, it might've been perceived as degrading towards women, but when in reality, we all know how straight men get around exposed flesh. It's true. So maybe, <laughs> maybe it's a bit of a power play like here, look at this. Hey, Hey, you like this jab cat, cat, cat. You know what I mean? Like I'm the cat. <laughs> look at me. I'm the captain now. <laughs> oh my God. Which has been, you know, as we've seen in In a Mirror Darkly. Yeah. When the Enterprise crew goes back and Hoshi Sato figures out how to take the take the crew, you know? I, I just it's, I just wanted to point that out as well. They do some cool themes about taking elements of sexuality that have been perceived to be degrading. Yeah. And then making them empowering. Mm-hmm. And it does make sense to me that if you've created a world where everything is violent i feel like your sex your sex would also be more violent that makes sense to me like i get that the really kinky fuckers in the mirror universe are the ones that aren't into the weird stuff they're the ones you gotta watch out for oh see and this leads us right into the next culture i want to talk about which is (laughs) klingon culture and like we we definitely get the implications that klingon sex is inherently kinky and like if that's true maybe to them vanilla sex is is really the king that is the shameful underground stuff (laughs) They, they have a group that meets up in the back of the adult bookstore every thursday Gosh, I didn't even, it never even occurred to me to think of a Klingon perceiving vanilla sex as kinky. <laughs> okay, but just imagine this, Kennedy, imagine this. Like, there, you know, you're, you're getting close to your, your Klingon lover and you're mm-hmm. just like... <laughs> I'm picturing Volk here. Okay, go ahead. I like this. I like this. Hey, let's get crazy tonight. Oh. Let's do missionary. Ooh. First of all, missionary is an extremely underrated position. Thank you very much. Your Klingon warrior just leans in, breathes into your ear. Let's cuddle. Uh, you don't understand. I, I, I might need a minute. <laughs> and it's, it's to this logic, right? If we're following this logic, the wharfs. Uh, brief little relationship with Troy must have been kinky as hell to him. Exactly, how right? tender he had to be. <laughs> I was actually thinking about Troy when it came to this because <laughs> I really 
really was because I was thinking about, so we talked earlier about how, um, kink doesn't necessarily need to be sexual. And one of the first things that I thought about when I thought about wanting to talk about this topic is Worf and his rite of ascension, which is a ritualized pain, you know, scene mm-hmm. essentially. And it is not sexual, but something that struck me right before the rite of ascension, Troy is bringing him there. And she walks right up to the door and he's like, you're not coming in. And she just gives him this look and is like, no. And I was thinking, what would it be like for Troy as an empath to be around a pain ritual like that? And would it harm her? Mirror, mirror, Troy would be into it, probably. Yeah. Yes, that's true. This would be an example of for the experience to be safe, sane and consensual for her and Worf to have a chat beforehand about it. (laughs) <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure they had to. Yeah. You know, like they, they had to have like, all of that must be incredibly profane for Worf. And also there's a point where he was like talking about how Klingons don't, are are too strong and powerful for human women. So they definitely would have had to negotiate some stuff ahead of time. Yeah. I think about the amount of restraint that Worf exhibits on a regular basis but don't get me started because that stems into other things. That's a whole <laughs> other episode about the domestication of Worf and Klingons in general. We'll, we'll get into that in a bit. You don't even don't get me you started. You said domestification, and I imagined him like wearing an apron and holding a tray of cookies or something. I mean, <laughs> and I thought maybe that's Troy's kink, right? <laughs> and you know, one of the things that came out of that. What it was like, Riker went to the Klingon ship on like a oh the the <laughs> commander change program yeah. yeah, and he was hanging out with all the the Klingons and the Klingon women are like, hey, that's a tall glass of water. <laughs> no, the Klingons are like, wow, he's ugly as hell. I want to hit that. That's what that was. <laughs> They're all just leaning into each other and going like, is it just me or is that kind of sexy ugly? They're like, look at his smooth ass face, yo. That shit is weird. I want to put my cooch on it. (laughs) Look at that entirely smooth forehead. I want to lick it. Right. They're like, this dude is our size, but he's a human, which means he's frail and probably (laughs) prone to breaking things. I wonder what his pain threshold is. Let's see, you know, and the best part about Riker is that he was with the shits. He was like, what's good? My my quarters are down on deck C. Let's let's talk about it. We have a recurring thing throughout Star Trek also of characters hooking up with Klingon women and having it be implied to be super kinky and stuff. Like, we have Quark and... I want to say Groka, Groka yeah. ending up in the med bay, like giving each other knowing looks. We've got Neelix and what's her face taking over two Vox quarters. It keeps happening. Yeah, we had a <laughs> we had a listener comment that was Neelix and Charega is a super positive take on kink unless you are Tuvok. They did not clear that usage of Tuvok's quarters with him, which wasn't cool. That's a great point, though, that Neelix and, um, oh, geez, what was her name? Charega. Charega are a perfect example of enthusiastic, informed consent. Yeah, she, like, tries to hit on Harry earlier, and Harry's like, nope, not my thing. Neelix, however was like, ooh, girl. <laughs> Neelix is like, I'll try anything once. Neelix was like, girl, where's your quarters at? You you want to sleep it alone? Well, we could go somewhere. We could go somewhere. <laughs> Neelix was about it. We also got a comment from Twitter of um, from Gristle McNerd asking, please discuss in excruciating detail that time Neelix got it on with a Klingon. <laughs> this came up when I was complaining to Jim, who is the one that made that comment that I was complaining that there is very few positive portrayals of kink. And this was his example is like, they enjoyed themselves. They had fun. They had a great time. Then they went their separate ways. Neelix was a little salty about that though. Uh, He was, he was ready to risk it all. Wasn't he? He was ready to risk it all and throw himself back into the Delta quadrant before he was like, you know what? You know what? Let me, let me cool out. I got, I got this Federation quarters here. There's carpets on everything. Let me chill. Let me. Once you go honorable, there's no coming back. I will say overall though, that Klingon's perception of sex 
definitely it it, it fuels my argument that that kink is relative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? What's kinky to one person is not kinky to somebody else. Because the Klingons are just all about power dynamic and honor and like the big drama and gravitas of everything. So the kink just is kind of a side effect of that. Right. And and really their sex is just rough. Yeah. So so if you're into rough sex, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's still kinky. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I think that leather daddies in the gay community are sexy as hell. Like, oh my God. Oh yeah. my God. Yeah. It's my thing. Like big burly hairy dudes with leather and and tight things and collars and harnesses. Yes, give me one, please. I'll take that one or that one, whichever is more available. But somebody who lives that lifestyle regularly could look at one of those dudes and just be like, oh, yeah, that's Pat. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's Pat. Yeah, he makes he makes a mean chocolate chip cookie. That's Jimmy. We're on a kickball team together. Exactly. We are, we're in a softball league. We play, we run a beer league. We play softball together. He's my center fielder. <laughs> I regularly beat him at shuffleboard. <laughs> Not to say that Pat, you know, code switches between you know different parts of his expression of his sexuality or anything, but you know, someone could know this dude from this context and not see the leather and the harness and the and the and the hat and the boots and and just see, you know, an individual. So it really is relative. All of the stuff that the Klingons do sexually is like vanilla to them and it's just more extreme for those of us who don't have duplicate organs and to engage in all the time i feel like we got to bring up the whole kink kink at pride discourse really quick because that's a thing that keeps coming up in lgbtq spaces this idea of well we can't like openly display this kind of stuff because think of the children and this is how people negatively stereotype our communities as just being super sexual and all that but at the same time that was kind of the building block of a lot of the LGBTQ community as we know it. And there are a lot of people for whom that's just part of their life. That's part of their lifestyle. And they want to celebrate and represent that. And then there are people saying, well, no, this is this is whitewashing the whole thing and making it kid-friendly and stuff. And people go, well, there are kids and families at Pride and stuff, so it's an evolution. And it's a whole thing. And I feel like we can tie that into the Star Trek discussion because there's there's kinky Star Trek people out there. Oh yeah, there's that quote about <laughs> Margaret Ch- uh, that Margaret Show quote about what is it with uh, Trekkies and leather and the Renaissance Fair? It all ties together. And yes, <laughs> there is definite overlap. And we are definitely gonna get no kink at prided over this episode. I feel like <laughs> it's an ongoing debate. Kind of bringing it back to Klingons, we haven't discussed probably the most famous of relationships that explores this, which is apparently Jadzia and Worf and their honeymoon. Good for them, right? Yeah. And it goes right back into like, where are the positive portrayals? Apparently Jadzia and Worf are a positive portrayal, although breaking bones might not be something I'd recommend. Yeah. For folks, no, not unless you have a doctor handy who can wave a light over it. It's yeah. not. This is not the time to be breaking things and clogging up hospitals. <laughs> hell no, hell no. When I think about Worf and Jadzia, I always think of specifically Worf for all his Klingon posturing is a super hung up dude who is like acting very tough, but is very insecure. And Jadzia has seen and tried everything, which probably makes for quite an interesting couple dynamic for them. But that makes you kind of go, oh, good for them. She's tried everything. He's probably a little bit like, no, I And then they get to figure it out together. Yeah, you got to remember that Worf is somebody whose culture was taught to him. Exactly. Much yeah. later. Yeah. So anyone who, you know had a bit of their heritage not introduced to them until a very you know much later point in their life is going to feel like they have to make up for lost time it's like you know discovering that you're a trekkie in your 40s you want to buy all the things you know Worf wanted all the mechleths (laughs) he wanted all the mechleths he needed to listen to all the opera just to fill the void of not having that 
cultural connection. And then with Dax, he gets to have this whole sexual renaissance. Right. And he still probably had to hold back a bit, yeah. right? Because tr- Trill aren't necessarily sturdy, or at least not sturdier than humans. And because she's carrying a symbiont, he has to be especially careful with her. Do you think that that means she's got to wear like a softball vest or something to protect the symbiont? I think he just he just has to be careful, which is the kink for him. Whereas <laughs> with her, the kink is dealing with somebody who could who could, you know, at any point in time, extremely physically like, cause physical damage. Overpower you. Yeah. So for her, it's hardcore. For him, it's cuddlecore. right so i could just imagine in the throes of things when her brain decided yeah break his rib she knew what that could have pulled out of him she knew that that could have pushed him past the point of control which could have been dangerous which was probably the kink for her and probably alluring to him but Worf was still on the heels of that you would have thought that once he got what he wanted sexually the things that he wasn't getting in other relationships that he would kind of loosen up a little bit and if anything he got he tightened up even more so don't this is why this is why this is why i talk about klingons like this because this is amazing wharf is just 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 want to sink my teeth into the hole just now he'd probably be into that so (laughs) and let's also just be real sex is a physical activity accidents happen it's true. Yeah. At least they had, um, you know, advanced medicine. Right. Yes. You can't do that kind of stuff unless you got a doctor wave a light over it. Yeah. Otherwise. Oh, Bashir just has so much dirt on those two, I'm sure. <laughs> I, I just love how, and, and to your point, Andy, earlier about how kink wasn't normalized in the prime universe. Bashir knows, <laughs> right? Julia knows what Klingon sex is like. He knows what Klingon sex is like with other species. So the fact that he was like, I don't want to know. It's like, bro, first of all, you're a doctor. Get over yourself. One. <laughs> Two. Okay, so Jadzia found a boo. Get over yourself. Right? Three. What is wrong with you? Don't hang your hangups on us. Don't kink shame them. But we could also say he was drawing like a healthy, like, I don't want, I'm a coworker of yours. I do not want to know about your sex life boundary. But had he been sex positive, he might not have pried for details. <laughs> but he could have been like, Dachatzia, this this clean break on this ninth rib is mwah, chef's kiss. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> there there was a, there could have been ways to encourage He'd that. like high fives are on the way out or something. Yeah. yeah, it gives them all like baseball slaps on the butt as they leave. Like, good hustle, guys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. That's funny. I just really appreciate knowing that there are Klingon romance novels. Mm-hmm. Oh, they're super romantic. Look, Listen to their... To the wedding ceremony, the vows, and how Kalas and Lucara ripped out their beating hearts because it was too strong for the masses that tried to subdue them. Like, what? You could, what? Ah. You know how human, uh, the, the human romance novel community is already super intense. Can you imagine the Klingon romance novel community? Just, just old Klingon dowager aunties gossiping over blood tea <laughs> about the latest novel. Oh, I love it. I want to see that bl- that book club so bad. <laughs> I-, I have a soft spot in my heart for Klingons and their approach to sex because I honestly feel like it's among the healthiest that we see in, in universe. They're pretty straightforward about it, yeah. Yeah, I, I would say so. Because it's informed, mm-hmm. enthusiastic, consent yes yes so moving on to another topic that is not informed enthusiastic consent and it's honestly just kind of ah when you see it i had not thought of this and i was talking to a friend about this topic and all he did he didn't say a single word he just sent me the gift of the board queen blowing on data's skin and him going And I was like, oh my goodness, um, I did not think about that. But that whole scene is like, in both sense of the words, is is super as like super kinky con- context. Yeah, if we're going to talk about Pinhead as like an S&M kind of icon, then you got to bring up the Borg Queen also as this lady in her weird cyberpunk cat suit thing. I mean, we, we, we got to say first and foremost... 
that the Borg's whole jam is non-consent. Yeah. Right? Yes. Yeah. Nothing about any of interactions with them is ever cool because they don't care whether or not a person is enthusiastically or informed. No one, they don't give out pamphlets. Hey, this is what happens when you join the Borg. Are you still interested? You know? So any type of interaction they're going to have with anybody is going to be problematic. Yeah. But when she straps data down and forcibly removes his dermal layer to surgically implant another, like there's already red flags already. Even if you want to like look at the isolated incident and not, you know, look at what the Borg has done <laughs> across yeah. the galaxy. This isolated incident. Trick, did you just nail my man's down? And forcibly put some skin on him? Like, what is what? <laughs> what? That's. Yeah, the whole thing's pretty messed up. Yo, it's so, it's so wrong on so many levels. Yeah, and it's, it's very clear it's bondage. He is being tied down. And, you know, Sue said something interesting when she was looking through our comments that we got from social media. She was bringing up that everyone was pointing out, like, rough sex. And, like, violent. Mm -hmm. But what she does when she blows on him is something that I would call sensation place. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, like, think ice. Think heat. Mm -hmm, It mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be violent. Feathers. Ticklers. Feathers. Yes. It's it's all about feeling. And when I was re- I I, I took this as a a sign to rewatch First Contact because... Why not? Right, right. I mean. And I was struck by it because when, at the very beginning of when they go back in time, they see the ship and Picard's touching it. And Data is like, "Mm, does touching it like do Like he didn't understand the sensation of touch. Right. So like bringing it back to she's showing him the power of touch. Yeah, and we even get Troy coming in and saying, do you need a minute alone with it? Yeah, and like, not just the power of touch, but like the power of sensation. And I found that really striking. Now, if it had been consensual, I'd be all about it, but it wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, agreed. Next! (laughs) (laughs) That's how I'm sure there are people who are super into that. Right. I will say the kinkiest thing about the Borg Queen and dealing with And when we take into consideration everything about consent and power play um, and all the nuances in between, I would argue that the kinkiest scene involving the Borg Queen was when in Endgame when Janeway (laughs) screws her, not physically, but, you know, plays plays with her perception of power. She plays with the notions of I mean, she, it wasn't consensual at all, but like, you know what I mean? She yeah. gave the the power play element that can exist in the kink lifestyle for sure was at play whenever Janeway had to deal with the Borg Queen because mm-hmm. it was very much, you know, dealing with somebody who's accustomed to being in control all the time mm-hmm. and gradually explaining to this individual and you know providing examples to this individual that you are not control you are not in control of this situation and at the very least you are not in control of me mm-hmm. so seeing that kind of it, it, i don't know if there's a term for it and if there is please let us know but seeing two doms go at it in that way two dominant people go at it that way and then <laughs> <laughs> um, and then away. come on now i'm trying to be academic i'm trying to hold on to my pips <laughs> to see two doms go at it in that way and kind of dance around the elephant in the room that is who is in control of the situation and then seeing janeway almost almost top from the bottom until you know she pulls the rug out from ever anything i think is the most appealing part of that whole exchange you know seeing somebody who's accustomed to being in control of all things at all times suddenly realize that they're not in control and being a little outraged by it at first but i'll say that the board queen was kind of into it she, she appreciated the fact that you know a, another challenge had presented itself because i'm sure it must be boring as the drone like as, a, as the queen rather everybody's doing what exactly what you tell them to do 
So finally finding somebody that is a, a general and genuine challenge to your power structure must have been appealing to her. She might have been pissy about it, but she liked it. You liked it. You liked it. You liked it. <laughs> All right. Well, turning into a much less sexy dude. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to talk about mud. And one of the reasons why I want to talk about him is the discovery version of mud literally brings like actual bondage equipment onto the show. Yeah. And I have to say, that watching Discovery and being like, well, that's a spreader bar just is like a really jarring experience. <laughs> I find that really interesting. I mean, I feel like as far as characters to bring it in, I was kind of like, okay, yeah, that tracks. It does. Because when I started thinking about Mud and, and I was thinking about him from the very beginning, he's always had an element of grossness. You into this? Yeah, but like... His the way he loves androids to me feels kind of fetishy. He likes to make really beautiful androids who then worship him. Mm-hmm. He made a version of his wife to punish her. That to me is like really wildly extra role playing. Yeah. <laughs> and and like just thinking about his whole vibe in those scenes, like it made sense to me that they made it more explicit in Discovery that this dude is a kinky guy and um not in a good way, in a predatory yeah. way. And the thing that was most interesting to me is in the short trek about mud, <laughs> we find out that not only did he make androids of hot ladies in the past, he made clones of himself (laughs) and then forced them to serve himself narcissist (laughs) also that he has a giant bounty hunter lady sona which more power to (laughs) you who doesn't have a giant bounty hunter lady sona i mean fair (laughs) but just everything about him is about like performance yeah but also power but yeah i feel like with uh with mud also these things are presented as kind of as sleazy because yeah he's a sleazy dude mm-hmm. yeah it, it none of it is as healthy safe scene consensual no. it it's all very toxic and predatory mm-hmm. and it that kind of leads into the next thing i have which is i would like to discuss the idea of the perfect mate as a toxic trope of a submissive woman. Yeah. So mm-hmm. if people can't, if don't, people don't remember the episode, The Perfect Mate, Perfect Mate is when Famke Janssen shows up on TNG and she is apparently a, a, of a race that imprints on someone. Whatever someone else is into, she is suddenly into. Yeah. And she's supposed to be a gift. To, to someone, and instead she imprints on Picard. Because someone accidentally opened her box. Yeah. Which, let's talk about that. Let's talk about human trafficking. <laughs> yeah, so the reason I wanted to bring up this is because I really feel like this is like heavily leaning into every man's fantasy is a woman that is submissive and will do whatever you want and mold herself to be perfect for you. But like, gross. This does feel like a scenario where she doesn't really get a choice in the matter. True. But I feel like the biggest choice at the end of the day, once she had her sentience, was her not wanting to meet with the dude she was supposed to meet with. She had imprinted on Picard and I think wasn't anticipating on genuinely liking the person that she had imprinted on. So the fact that she started to like Picard Mm. is the the real tragedy there. Not so much that you know, she was inclined to imprint on people. Mm-hmm. It was the fact that the the person that she imprinted on, she genuinely liked yeah. and wasn't supposed to be for him. Like, that's the part that's, ooh. I think the thing that I don't like about this, I mean, there are many. There's a lot to dislike, yeah. We, right. we have talked about this episode before. I am sure we will someday do a whole episode review on it because there's a lot to unpack here. But specifically when we're talking about kink, the thing I don't like about this is it takes something that should be really personal and beautiful, which is submitting to someone, and twists it 
in a really icky, toxic way yeah. to me. Because submission does not mean weakness and it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that like you disappear as a person. So right. the, the way that they kind of like even framed this as kind of like this trope of a submissive woman bothers me. Yeah. I mean, cause submission is a choice, right? And the, the common misconception is that when there is a dynamic of um, submission dominance that it's the dominant that's in control and it that's it's yeah. the exact opposite in fact it's the submissive that's in control because they're giving you the permission to do all of these things without that permission then it turns into assault yeah so in all of those dynamics it's always 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 going to be the power rather is always 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 going to lie in the person who's playing the submissive role and not the other way around so there, there is, and I feel like that wasn't quite, that wasn't quite ex explained in that regard. I feel like if they had thrown that element in there, like, yeah, I might be the one bending to his will, but only because I, I choose to, and because I enjoy it as opposed to, it's because of something I, I have to do. Yeah. And the other thing that, is an issue besides all of the other issues is she was raised to this. So mm. she was essentially groomed yeah. into this role. Um, and so there's no true, like, even if she could consent, like how, how, because she's been trained to do this yeah. from a young age. Mm, just layers upon layers of uncomfortable there. Yeah. Like, I feel like there could be a very interesting story there and they had great chemistry and some of that the, those dynamics between Picard and her were very intriguing, mostly because the acting was so good. Mm -hmm. But overall, it's a it's a flawed frame, so you can't really save it, and it just makes me sad. Yeah, it makes me sad. I definitely wanted to to bring that one up. Mm -hmm. But shout out to Picard. Yeah, right. Since we're talking about informed and you know enthusiastic consent, shout out to Jean Luc. For not being like, well, I'm gonna make it do what it do. <laughs> he just gonna have to be mad about it. I got a boo that loves the things that I love. Listen, you're gonna have to take a pip or something. I don't care. Cause look, you seen Pumpkin Johnson? You know, he completely held on to his pips. He respected the boundaries that were placed upon him. And I think deserves a lot of credit in, in that case in particular. Cause we know Picard is the lonely old man. We know he's lonely. So for him to have found somebody that, you know, even though it wasn't supposed to be meant for him, ended up being a better match than anyone anticipated and him to voluntarily, you know, let her go, so to speak, is something that we, I, I just got to give Picard his flowers on that. Mm -hmm. Good for him. <laughs> I, I think the, the real, I guess, moral center of that episode is actually Crusher. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this is definitely an episode that we're going to talk about more. I'm sure we will someday do an episode review on it. So we don't really have time to unpack it all. But I, I did want to at least get a chance to discuss that that trope of uh, submission and why it is incorrect. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's something I kind of want to talk about because I wasn't sure whether to include it or not, because this is not really kink. But there are a lot of just general torture scenes in Trek. Uh, again, are not kink, because kink is not necessarily torture. But they have subtext. So there's there's bondage. There's whipping. There's subtext. And then there's the fact that while watching it, you're like, yeah, this probably awakened something in someone. <laughs> well, and the first thing I thought of when I thought of like this kind of general... It's not really kinky, but it's kind of kinky. Was Kirk and Spock? Oh, yeah. You know someone discovered they were into watching dudes get whipped from that. <laughs> Just because of the fact it might have been the first time they'd ever seen that on TV. 60s and all. Well, I mean, really, like, having two dudes shirtless. And, like, they did this hilarious thing where... So they have whip marks on them. Yeah. And it's clearly just lipstick. Yeah, it's just drawn on. <laughs> Which, I mean, this is high camp to me. And then Spock's is green. Yeah. <laughs> and, but they're, they're like shirtless. 
They're sweaty. They're covered in whip marks. They're staring intently at each other. And I'm just like, okay. Um, I see why people ship them. Yeah. <laughs> I don't really think that they fit into just general BDSM, but like no. some of the ways that they were staged and shot kind of just evokes a kinky undertone, if that's fair. It's Jean's vision. Yeah, Jean's vision. <laughs> Where are we to question it? I love the idea of Jean's vision being green lipstick on Leonard <laughs> Continuity. Yeah. Uh, I truly, every time I watch that episode, I laugh so hard at all the lipstick. It's so good. I love it so much. It's pretty dang ridiculous. 10 out of 10, no notes. No notes. Do not change a thing. Cool. Well, there are a handful of small miscellaneous things on our list here. I would say, I'll let me be brief about it. The whole Ferengi thing, like Ferengis in general, when it comes to women not being dressed, to the whips, to umaks, like, and just how creepy they are in general, like Ferengis, what the heck? Ferengis are the, are like the parallel to people who perceive kink completely incorrectly. (laughs) my god i love that they are like they just you know because all of that stuff could be spun in a way that wasn't degrading right you know they could have done this any number of ways so i feel like that that that's that's uh an interesting thing to get into the other one i thought was really cool that we have uh, mentioned here is the Orions. And we're seeing a little bit of that on lower decks. Yeah. We've always been told that Orions were like super, super biologically horny people, or at least infectiously horny people. Yeah. Then you then you meet somebody like Tendi, who is an intellectual, who's enthusiastically academic, mm-hmm. try and shy away from the more exploitive stereotypes yeah. that has been associated with Orion's for so long. Mm-hmm. And I, I, one of the things I like about Lower Decks exploring that um, is it, it gives the classic Trek platform to discuss racism without, and, and prejudices and discrimination without being overt mm-hmm. about it. You know, for those of you who aren't caught up yet to Lower Decks, um, spoiler alert, here's a couple seconds to pause and, and note the timestamps so that you can come back to it. But that whole scene where they were, were on Orion and Mariner had to go in green face, essentially, and talking about, you know, this is, feels bad. Just don't take any photos of me. Like, that's that's a real thing. And I, I think the Orion discussion is a, a great opportunity to use it as a reflection of what we're doing wrong, what we're doing incorrectly, whether it's extorting people or, you know, being manipulative when it comes to a person's sexuality. Like Orion's are, are a prime example of that. And Tendi is the one who's trying to rewrite the narrative, which is we see it, but it wasn't until she punched her cousin in the stomach and said, you'll do what I tell you to do. I was like, yes, Dom Tendi, let's go, let's go. <laughs> I never knew I needed a thing until I saw the thing. I was like, okay, I can watch Tendi turn a, a giant beefcake dude out. Like, whatever you say, mistress of the winter constellations. Like, what? What did she do? What did she do to earn such a title? Like, was that something given to her? Did she, did she earn it herself? We have so many questions. So many questions. So many questions. So many questions. Well, that's all about all the time we have today. Kennedy, where can people find you on the internet? People can find me on Instagram and Twitter at that Mikey chick. That's that M-I-K-E-Y-C-H-I-C-K. Don't act up in my comments because I will drag you publicly before blocking you. And that's a promise. That's not just a promise. That's a guarantee. And Grace, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at BoneCrusherJank and also on, you know, perusing some, you know, stranger websites to see what those uh the market looks like for those uh you know uh klingon romance novels <laughs> and i'm andy you can find me on twitter at first time trek to learn more about our show or to contact us visit women at warp.com or find us on facebook twitter or instagram at women at warp you can also email us at crew at women at warp.com and for more roddenberry podcasts visit podcast.roddenberry.com thanks so much for listening
This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.